here. Here there is no Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Here. For Christ is all and is in all. Amen. I am so happy to worship with uh, my church family this morning. There's just no place else I'd rather be than with uh, people that I love worshiping the God that we love. And um, if you're new here at Windsor Road, I want to just extend a welcome. My name is Randy. I'm the senior minister here at the church. And, and um, we're in a season where we're paying attention to uh, what Christian community is, what Christ-centered, um, a gospel-centered a unity and fellowship look like. And uh, so that's where our scripture teaching is going to be centered today. Um, but before we get into the teaching time, I'd like for us to uh, together pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, if the results hold, it may very well be one of the most dramatic medical breakthroughs of recent decades. Uh, it's a breakthrough that could transform treatment plans, save lives, and save health providers and patients a fortune. I'm not talking about a drug. I'm not talking about a device. I'm not talking about a surgical procedure. I'm talking about a newfangled discovery called community. No kidding. Yeah, recently in the United Kingdom, uh, the county Somerset town of Froome took part in a trial study showing that when isolated people with health problems are supported by community groups and volunteers, the number of emergency admissions falls spectacularly. Uh, over a three-year period, in the county of Somerset, hospital admissions rose 29%, except in Froome, which is one of the towns in Somerset. In that same period of time, they fell 17%. That's a 46% spread, which is significant. Dr. Helen Kingston, a general practitioner, kept meeting patients feeling dejected by the medicalization of their lives. They felt like they were just being treated as a cluster of symptoms rather than a human being with health problems. So Dr. Helen began to put together both paid health connectors and volunteer community connectors to break what had become a, a cycle of misery. Uh, sickness, which led to the inability to socialize, which led to isolation, which led to loneliness, which then worsened the sickness. 
And other studies affirm Froome's numbers. Strong social support and healthy community are powerful agents in fighting off chronic diseases. Dr. Kington uh, reports that patients who once asked her, what are you going to do about my problem, are now saying, this is what I'm thinking of doing next. They are, in other words, no longer seeing themselves as a set of symptoms, but people with agency. Froome. What a fascinating story. And a study which validates one other very important study, the Bible. Yes, the Bible teaches that we've been created for community, that human flourishing occurs amidst spiritually healthy relationships. Growth happens through belonging. I mean, this is... This is all over the pages of God's word, but somehow, sometimes our culture of radical individualistic consumerism seems to just make it all about Jesus and me. And that's Jesus and me, really, that's not how growth happens. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, since school has started, let's do a little English diagramming. <laughs> yeah. What makes the body, what makes the body grow? According to this sentence, what is it that makes the body grow? The whole body. The whole body. That's the means, working properly. That's the means, being joined together. But the whole body, the whole body grows and makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Huh. With Christ as head, attached to a body, the whole body grows. We, we need one another if we're going to grow spiritually, emotionally. Now, I mean, this flies in the face of our culture, doesn't it? Um, I found two very helpful charts from uh, a, a book titled The Church as Family by Joseph Hellerman. And uh, the first chart really kind of lays out contemporary American Christianity, which is meistic, individualistic, uh, subjective, experiencing God uh, in my daily life. Uh, so it's ahistorical. That is, there, there's really no historical context. You know, it's just kind of all about me. And such a perspective tends to lead to the question, what can God do for me? And then by extension, what can the church do for me? And what's that produce? A person with an experience. That's American 
Christianity in our day. Much better from what we read in Ephesians and what we will read in Colossians is biblical Christianity. Us. How did the Lord's Prayer begin? My Father who art in heaven? No. Our Father who art in heaven. Collective. Us. With the objective of making disciples toward the day. What is that? The day. The day of Christ's appearing when he will remake the new heavens and the new earth in his glory. And such, such a Christianity, first century biblical Christianity, asks not, you know, what can God do for me? But rather it asks Jesus, who do you want me to love today? And that produces a community with a mission. A mission of love. And, and church, community is why early Christianity flourished in the Roman Empire. So did you know that in the year A.D. 40, approximately 0.001%, of the Roman population was Christian, A.D. 40. 300 years later, by A.D. 350, that number skyrocketed to 56.5%. According to Rodney Stark in his book, The Rise of Christianity, Christianity grew 40% every decade for nearly 300 years. Um, it's, been, it's been called by scholars, uh, religious and secular, the single most important development that occurred from the reign of Augustus to the death of Constantine. You know, how did a small Judean sect on the eastern fringe of the world's most formidable empire expand steadily over 300 years in the face of legislated persecution? How did that happen? Community. Community in Christ. In, in, in Rome's stratified society, people from all walks of life all social, vocational, ethnic classes came together in community with the gorilla glue commitment of family. And all because of one person, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, who united Jews and Greeks and slaves and citizens and Scythians and barbarians and men and women into a fiercely loyal family. Christianity swept the empire because believers were as committed to one another as they were to Jesus Christ. Well, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17 discusses this, and that's where we turn to this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of Colossians 3, 1 through 17. You'll find that on page 984 of your church Bibles. I would love it if uh, you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, to take the one in the pouch in front of you and uh, put your name in it and take it home as a gift from this church family. The verses that we're about to read are centered in the king whose people are called to embody the king's love. Paul affirms in these verses the reality of Christ's reign and then reminds the church community what that looks like in their relationships with one 
another. So follow along with me as I read. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. What did we just read here? Well, here it is. Big idea coming your way. Christ is king. Aim for glory. Put on love. Christ is king, aim for glory, put on love. Because King Christ is the undisputed emperor on high, and because our destiny is glory, put on love. Love like Jesus has already come. Put on love. Uh, this put on that we see here in these verses, this is baptismal imagery. These verses describe the community of the once dead but now raised people of God. I mean, we used to walk like this. We used to talk like this. We used to live like this. But no more. We've been rescued. We belong to the community of the baptized. We've been dipped into the death of Jesus and raised out of the baptismal waters, united to Christ. Baptism dramatizes the reality that by grace through faith, not by works, we've been snatched from the domain of death and planted into the kingdom of life. And this not of ourselves so that no one can boast. 
if then you have been raised with Christ. You see that word raised? You can cross-reference that back just to the column before in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him, you see? We are the community of the raised. So then, how ought raised people live? How, how ought people who have been raised with Christ, demonstrate their raisedness? Well, the answer is, Christ is king, aim for glory, put on love. Christ is king. That's verses 1 through 3. The, the reason why God's community is so attractive is it's not because they fulfill a moral checklist but because they're in union with the resurrected king. The reality of Christ's resurrection sustains everything. This, this is not a do more, try harder passage of scripture. It's a declaration. King Christ is risen, ascended, seated, spirit sent. The fact of Jesus' death, the fact of Jesus' burial place, the fact that witnesses saw where the body was placed. The fact that on the third day, the tomb was found empty. The fact that witnesses of, of, of all kinds testified to having encountered a risen embodied Savior and the fact of their changed lives. I mean, this takes, this evidence adds up and leads a rational thinking person to the conclusion that King Christ is risen. This world is not all there is. There is another dimension, another reality, another world, an actual, tangible, perceptible world. Scripture calls this the new heavens and the new earth. And Jesus is the first of the coming world order that will one day overtake all we see and hear. And Colossians 3 asserts this. There's a new regime. There's a new sheriff in town. A greater, stronger, more splendid king. More powerful than the emperor of Rome. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me. And Paul echoes this in uh, what's been called one of the earliest Christian hymns. Colossians 1, 15. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. And he's the beginning, and the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. God be praised. Christ is risen. He's king. Now, aim for glory, Paul says. That's verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you too will appear with him 
in glory. Our destiny is a resurrected body on a resurrected earth under the rule of the resurrected Christ. The, the, the Christ who is all and is in all will share his glory with his people. Ponder that, church. Think about that. Set your mind on that, Paul says. We are encouraged with the doctrine of glory. And what is that doctrine? What is the doctrine of glory? Here it is. As he is, we will one day be. As he is, we will one day be. 1 John 3, 2, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And you remember Philippians 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from there we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. We take on what Christ has taken on. That's the doctrine of glory. Our future is a glorious, imperishable, powerful, spiritual body. And, and by spiritual, we mean a, a, a body that is acclimated to the realm of the spirit, a, a body that continues to learn and grow in strength, in intellect, in ability, in health, in holiness, relationally, mentally, spiritually, in worship, in service, no cancer, no dementia, no creaky bones, no disease, no sorrow, no death. I'm telling you, if the doctrine of glory weren't so prevalent in Scripture, it would be blasphemous to teach it. But, but the Lord Jesus himself prays to the Father about us in John 17, 22. The glory you have given me, I have given to them. And 2 Peter 1.4 says, we will become partakers of the divine nature. And are you sitting down? <laughs> Revelation 3.21, Jesus says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. By his grace, Jesus will share governing of the new heavens and the new earth with his people. But glory is not somewhere out there in the future. See, it, it, it's already started, church. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, what's the phrase? From one degree of glory to another. For this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So you see, it, 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 it's already started. And some of you are thinking, my pastor on his study break, he became an Eastern mystic. No, 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 
No, we will never be God, but we will be one with him. We are one with him. We're not the groom, but we'll be married to him. We are married to him. I mean, it's the ultimate rags to riches story from, from dust to dominion to destruction to redemption to transformation to glorification to the very throne of heaven. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now Paul says, I want you to think about that. I want you to set your minds and seek the things that are above. Aim for glory. Aim for glory. Let, let Christ's reign and our aim then affect how we treat one another. Therefore, therefore, because Christ is king and because we are to aim for glory, therefore, put on love. Put on love. And that's verses 12 to 14. Hmm. Now, love is a great idea until you get to know your neighbors. Love, love is a great idea until your house floods because someone left the sink running. And love's a great idea until you see who sits next to you at church on Sunday morning. And no one's against love. We're just confused about what love is because, you see, our culture defines love um, by emotions, pleasure, and satisfaction. And so our culture says, I've fallen in love. Well, that's the world's way of saying, I've fallen into dopamine's pleasure zone. But a dopamine rush is not what the Bible means by love. And furthermore, um, you know, some assume that love is, can only be most appreciated by married folk. And that's just not true. Jesus wasn't married. Apostle Paul wasn't married. Love is a rugged commitment by one person, married or not, to another person, married or not. Well, how does the Bible define love? Well, in this particular chapter, in this particular chapter, I want us to pay attention to two activities that display Christ-like love, and it's it's forbearing and forgiving. Bearing with and giving grace. Forbearing and forgiving. Let's talk about forbearing for a minute. What's that mean? It means forbearing. It means enduring. Um, when we check our children into our classes, it means we wait patiently as our volunteer servant Assistance help our children for their security, okay? Uh, bearing with means that when you are called by one of our family life staff because uh, your little angel is not playing well with others, you, you listen first and refrain from letting your inner lawyer rise to the defense, okay? That's what that means, bearing with. Bearing with means we have a long fuse with each other. Bearing with means... 
Bearing with means that you may not get to talk to all your buddies on Sunday morning because you happen to ask someone, how are you doing? And they believed you, and now they're telling you. <laughs> and, and that's okay. Bearing with means that you give someone the benefit of a doubt when they say something that just didn't sound right instead of just reacting, right? Bearing, bearing with one another means that, that, that we practice Proverbs 12, 16. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a wise person overlooks an offense. Hmm. Bearing with means that you believe the best of others and are shocked when they fail rather than when they succeed. Bearing with is what we do when the person in our small group tends to dominate the discussion. Bearing with is what we do when our children test our leadership daily. Bearing with is what we do when, when your former is not being cooperative. Bearing with is what you do when, when you help your spouse with rehab after their stroke. Bearing with doesn't mean we don't set boundaries. Bearing with doesn't mean that we don't get fatigued. And bearing with doesn't mean that we become a doormat. Bearing with means we, we spill the overflow of God's grace from our lives onto others. Do you know how to tell if you're carrying a full bucket of water? Your feet are wet. We carry a full bucket of grace. And so we, we slosh in shoes soaked with grace. Is there someone in your life with whom you're in a season of forbearance? Who's having to bear with you? Forbearing love. Forgiving love. Paul says, as the Lord has forgiven you. So the Lord's already forgiven you. As the Lord has forgiven you, you're chosen, you're holy, you're beloved. As the Lord has forgiven you in that state, in that condition, now forgive one another. That means, that means I will not keep a record of wrongs. That's what that means. I read of a woman who said to her pastor, uh, Pastor, my husband told me that he forgives me completely for the awful thing I did 15 years ago. And then she added, I know he's forgiven me because every week of my life he reminds me that he's forgiven me. Listen, Christ's death on the cross was to bring about the new creation that Paul speaks of in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood on the cross. So in forgiving those around us, we partake of the divine nature in this act of recreation as we disengage the person from his or her hurtful act. And in doing so, we are a conduit of God's grace 
to recreate that person in his or her image. In his image, rather. I'm, I'm just thinking of that um, awful day, October 2nd, 2006. A troubled man named Charles Roberts barricaded himself inside the West Nickel Mine Amish School, ultimately murdering five young girls and wounding six others before committing suicide. What a, what a dark day for the Amish community and for the murderer's wife and her two young children. Marie is the wife's name. On the following Saturday, Marie experienced grace at her husband's funeral. That day, she and her children watched as Amish families, about half of the 75 mourners there, came and stood alongside of them in the midst of their own blinding grief. Despite his heinous crime, the Amish came to mourn for, for this husband and father. That's otherworldly. That is otherworldly love. And forbearing and forgiving love, that's what creates a community of the one body of Jesus Christ. For forgiving and forbearing love is what eliminates the barriers that we see in verse 11. Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Christ is king. Aim for glory. Put on love. That's what Paul is saying in these verses. Now, listen. Someone might say, well, pastor, that's, that's easy to say. It's tough to live. And you're right. You're exactly right. And, and see, here's the process. And I want to I explain this process, the path uh, by which we practice what is otherworldly love. And this path is explained further in uh, Scott Peck's book, The Different Drum. It's a book about community. And here's the path. Pseudo-community, chaos, emptiness, true community. Pseudo-community, chaos, emptiness, true community. Pseudo-community. Now, in pseudo-community, people tend to hold back what they really think so as to avoid conflict. You know, we're pleasant, we're kind, we're courteous, you know, which is good, but at the same time, there's an intentional effort to avoid conflict. And, you know, there's, you know, there are the elephants in the room, but no one wants to say anything. But at some point, someone decides to speak up. You know, why are you 10 minutes late to every meeting? And why don't you put together a plan? And there's an effort to get real, and this brings chaos, Right? Because questions are asked and differences are expressed and, and people bicker. And chaos typically brings pain. So there's pushback and there's friction. And the temptation, the temptation is to say, well, I'm going to go back to pseudo-community because it's much safer there. Well, you're, it is safer there. But, but you're in pseudo-community. You said you want to get into true community. So you got to keep walking. It's critical to walk through this chaos in order to find the, the true community that Christ wants. And so there's pseudo-community, 
There's chaos, and then there's emptiness. In Philippians 2, 7, Jesus emptied himself to walk among us. And the way for us to move from chaos to true community is to follow Jesus through the experience of emptiness. And this is very, very hard. It means facing the need to empty ourselves of expectations and prejudices and ideology and solutions and, and, and empty ourselves of the need to fix or control or solve. Or, and instead, we put on forbearing and forgiving love. And, and, and then people begin to share it. But it's not just the brokenness of others out there. It's their own brokenness, our own brokenness, our own failures our own fears, our own vulnerabilities and fragility. Instead of acting like we've got it all together, we get real. And, and where expressing love becomes more important than being right. Well, I know how to be right. I can be right all by myself. See, we're called to community, to true community. And, and when we embrace not only the light, but the darkness and the brokenness in each other's lives, true community occurs. We are, we're accepted for who we truly are, who God sees us as, not who we pretend to be. And at this point of radical acceptance, extraordinary healing occurs. Extraordinary healing. Can you imagine having to go to the office and study and prepare from this particular passage of Scripture after having a spirited argument with your spouse? Well, that was my Thursday. And that's what this, so it's like, really? <laughs> really? And Sarah and I had to walk through this path. Well, how was it? Well, it started in pseudo community, and then there was a whole lot of chaos, and then there was emptiness, and then there was true community. That was my world on Thursday. But stay on the path. Stay on the path. Okay? Let the peace of Christ rule. Verse 15. That's an athletic term, by the way. It means to referee or umpire. Let the peace of Christ referee your hearts. And when you have emotions battling each other over something someone did to you and your heart is a boxing ring and the contestants are forgiveness versus bitterness, let the peace of Christ make the call and the judge's decision is final. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dwell describes the homeowner, not the house guest. And the homeowner has run of the house. Let the word of Christ have run of the house. Christ needs to have the final say as to how my life is lived and the decision I, decisions I make. 
And how will the word of Christ speak? Verse 16, as you teach and admonish each other with all wisdom. Do you know why you need to read your Bible? You know why? Not, not because God says so. Not, not, not just because it's good. Not because it, you know, it's the thing you can check off uh, uh, in your moments of quiet time and then get on with the rest of your day. No, no. You know why you need to read your Bible? So that you will have something to talk about when you have a conversation with someone with a brother or sister in Christ so that you can have meaningful conversation. What does forgiving love look like in your life? What does forbearing love look like in your life? And how can I pray with you about that? And what helps you be kind and patient? And what makes you mad? What frustrates you? And what do you look forward to in glory? See, that, man, that, that's meaningful. And whatever you do, verse 17, Whatever you do, in the name of Jesus, do it all. See, so let the signature of Christ be on everything you do or say. Can, could Christ sign his name to this attitude or activity? You know, can I say what I'm about to say and in the same breath speak the name of Jesus? That's what verse 17 means. Christ is king. Aim for glory. Put on love. That's what Paul says. Listen, you may be here for the first time, and you may be contemplating Christianity, and you may be thinking, reigning in the heavenly realms, invisible, I don't know about what that pastor's saying. I understand. Can I just get you to think about the truth of Christianity and its reality by just contemplating this? Look at verses 5 through 9 in the text again, please. Just look at it. See verses 5 through 9? Okay. What, what if there was a town where everybody lived like that? Malice, hate, envy, sexual immorality. What if the whole town lived like that? Okay? Now, imagine a few miles down the road, another town. Verses 12 through 14. See? Look. 12 through 14. Humility, meekness, forbearing, forgiving, bound together by love. What if everybody lived like that? All right? You tell me, which town has fewer admissions to the hospital? In which town would you rather live? In which town... Would you want your grandchildren to live? You see. Verses 5 through 9, I mean, communities tear each other up who look like that. Communities that look like verses 12 through 14, they build each other up. And, and, and you may be saying, oh, I, you know, but, but my life story is verses 5 through 9. Is there hope? Yes, there's hope. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. This is what you once were. This is what you once were. Oh, my. And, and, and you say, oh, I would, love, I would love to go to a church with people who were once angry and immoral but are now humble and meek and loving. Oh, I would love that. And my response to you is, 
where did you think you were? 